Hello and welcome to the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. I'm Chris. And today I'm chatting with my sister and brother. And we've got some comparative musical notes coming your way. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to our penultimate episode of Series 6 of the Watford Jazz Junction podcast. As always, check out our website at www.watfordjazzjunction.com to buy tickets to our shows, including The Jazz of Dudley Moore on the 30th of October and Tony Kofi's portrait of Cannibal Adley on the 12th of February. Early bird tickets are available at just £15 at the minute for both shows, uh, and our venue at the Pump House Theatre could not be lovelier or more suited to wonderful music such as this. And you can also contact us at jazzwatfordlive at gmail.com or follow us on all of our various social media. Now, down to business. And joining me for a spiritually reflective chat today, I'm joined by my sister Lottie, uh, a classical singer and music appreciator, and my brother Jim, a rock drummer and YouTube reviewer. And regular listeners will be well used to their dulcet tones from previous episodes and series. And I'm as thrilled as ever that they're with me again today. So hello Bristol, hello Milton Keynes, Watford Calling. How are you both? Hello, Bristol receiving. All good here, thank you. How are you? (laughs) Hi Lottie. Yeah, I'm great, thank you. And the Milton Keynes? Hi there, yeah. Yeah, all very good. All very good. Thanks ever so much. Marveloid. So today I want to get spiritual. Um, I'm talking Palestrina and Foray. I'm talking John Coltrane and Sun Ra. Um, And this is because in recent episodes, we've headed down this type of route with wonderful narrations from Sri. And he was talking about meditating with Alice Coltrane, Fergus MacReady, his forays into the Highland Mountains of Scotland. And then Rahan Gies, uh, most recently, about her connectivity with God. And I thought, this is a this is a big topic, and I'd quite like to discuss it with some others. And then I thought, well, a good way to do that might be if we each brought an album to the table uh, to share and explore, you know, representative of our specific genres and whatnot. So I'm bringing Brad Maldo's Finding Gabriel to the table, an album from 2019. Jim, what have you got? Right, so I have bought... Um an album called Lateralis by the American prog metal band Tool. Very nice. And Lottie? Uh, Well, I had a lot of difficulty with this. But anyway, I have settled on Sibelius' Fifth Symphony. Ooh. Well, this is very exciting. So, James, you'll have to repeat the title of your one. Yeah, Lateralis. Lateralis. So, later... Yeah. Later or lateral us. Nice. And Sibelius' Fifth Symphony. And Brad Maldo's Founding Gabriel. I doubt these have ever all three been compared simultaneously uh, and if they have please someone point us to where we can find out the errors of our way um, but before we get into those I just did want to have a little think about what spiritualism might mean since that's the topic of the day uh, and I should say I've got a word bingo tick sheet that I've written out here and I'll honk my hooter whenever you manage to tick one of my words and I'll knock one off to start with soul yeah, that's gone. But there are about 15 others to Does choose from. Does that mean from. we're not allowed to say the word soul now? Well, you can say the soul, but I won't beep it anymore because it's gone right, off the bingo sheet. Don't get any sheet. more points for that. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, James, why don't you go first? Do you want to tell us a bit more about uh, Lateralis? Yeah, um, so this is a record that has become actually quite legendary to people who listen to this particular genre of music and sort of wider in, in general. It is 
really considered as, as it was quite high art, not just the music and the lyrics that are within, but also the artwork that it sort of contains with it as well. And on first listen, you just think, oh, this is quite a cool, sort of quite a heavy uh, rock record with lots of changes and lots of uh, time signature bits and bobs going on in there. And then you start to listen to it more and more and more. And you then discover rhythms and tribal rhythms and patterns repeating that become sort of quite meditative or help you sort of become sort of more reflective. And the overall, I don't think there's one overall message of the whole album because it's, it's different for different people how you listen to it and you interpret it. But it is almost about sort of exploring your own being and confronting your ego, getting rid of that and sort of then sort of being at one with God. And then what is God? God, is God something out there or is God in here in your brain, in your mind? I don't know if you've come across this thing called sacred geometry before. Uh, and the golden no. ratio the golden ratio is based on the fibonacci sequence or the fibonacci sequence is based on the golden ratio where one add one equals two two add one equals three three add two so it, equals you, five. It's, yeah. yeah so it's exactly so it's the the things add up uh which is kind of potential uh, signal of the sort of building blocks of life a lot of this album is based on that so there's a particular song the title track lateralis is is written in that way so that each of the verses the syllables that are used are done in this sort of fibonacci sequence mm. and um um i've had to write some stuff down what <laughs> bingo for hesitating do you hesitation do oh, i get a point man alive does the, does the subject go to me now um, so if you go back to what I was just saying about this sacred geometry thing, one of the things that is called the tree of life, uh, which is uh, you start off at the base where it's sort of just very, very basic level type stuff and you go right up to the top, which is sort of enlightenment. So you start off at the bottom with something called kingship, which is about self-sabotaging the pain of holding on to poisonous anger and the freedom that comes of letting go of old baggage. Mm. So it's letting go of uh, grudges. And it works through all these different uh, stages up until you get to sort of uh, wisdom, uh, conscious intellect, and then sort of absolute consciousness. And it's sort of uh, working, th all the different songs are dealing with different matters that relate to, to this thing. And it's, it's, as I say, it's, it's, a, it's a record which sort of unfolds and reveals itself to you on multiple listens. You don't actually know any of that's there at the beginning, the first time you listen to it. And then the more you go back to it, the more you listen to it, and the more you sort of read into it so well actually if you look hard enough you can see patterns anywhere but i think mm. these are very very deliberate and are, and are put there specifically and it's just absolutely mind-blowing and it is it's a different form of spirituality from a religious one that is is very personal to the to the listener and about how they interpret it and what it means to them so it sounds to me that that's an album that's built on a very human level of cleansing mm. somehow of purifying the soul or to find out the the parts of the soul that are made there and what might need address um, and then because of the Fibonacci sequence and its relationship to uh, the building blocks of life as you say very much yeah. to nature and the two are combined um, for perhaps a, a spiritual enlightenment have I got that on my list Phew, I didn't fall foul on my own <laughs> bingo list um, so that, that's a fascinating introduction Lottie how does uh, Sibelius's fifth symphony compare to Tool's lateralis <laughs> Well, actually, the way you just uh, responded to it then, Chris, sort of uh, leads on to what I, I was, where I'm going with this, really. So I did have difficulty with this, not because I couldn't think of anything, but because I, I find that spirituality and God and nature and reality and all of that 
is all so inextricably linked. We're all just looking at, talking about the same thing, coming at it in different angles. And basically any piece of music I picked up, I thought, well, yes, there's a spiritual element to that, either explicit or implicit. Um, and for example, I was doing a class a couple of days ago on Brooks um, Kol Nidre, which is very explicitly using a, a, a incantation from Jewish liturgy. But I thought, well, that's too obvious. Let's do something a bit bit different. Uh, for the record, it's not too obvious for Jim and me. <laughs> But, but to take oh, something that, that I mean is explicitly <laughs> so. But so Kol Nidre being a prayer of Jewish right. liturgy, I just thought, okay, yeah. well, let's not do that. And then so much of what I sing is directly, explicitly sacred because I do a lot of oratorio work. That I thought of the four last songs of Strauss, which is my absolute go-to piece, absolutely about life and death and transfiguration. But eventually I realised uh, in talking this week, uh, I'm running a class on Sibelius Fifth Symphony and it mm. seemed to sort of be less obvious, but actually the same thing. So Sibelius himself clearly felt very uh, connected with spirituality in whatever way you want to define that. Um, and he, he believed that there was music in the whole universe. I think he believed in music of the spheres. And he, he certainly talked about music operating on a, a higher plane and music sort of taking over at the point that language um, runs out. And in relation to this symphony in particular, he was writing mm. this in during the First World War around 1915, um, although he did revise it multiple times. He had a lot of trouble with it for several years. And in 1915, he wrote about it. Uh, he said, I already begin to see the mountain I shall surely ascend. God opens his door for a moment and his orchestra plays the fifth symphony. It's this extraordinary vision. And I, I don't mean a mystical vision, but, you know, an artistic vision. Well, maybe it is mystical, but an artistic vision of what this piece is. And as he was struggling with it, another thing he said was that it was as if God Almighty had thrown down pieces of a mosaic for heaven's floor and asked me hmm. to find out what was the original pattern. And the thing that's uh, the most striking thing, I think, on an initial listen, but actually even after a gazillion listens, is the finale, um, the, the final movement, which has this wonderful theme that's become known as the swan hymn, mm. swan as in the birds. And it was inspired very directly by an experience he had. So he was standing outside and overhead flew uh, a group of swans. And he was so struck by this that he made a note of it in his diary. And he, he said, you know, today, um, at 10 to 11, I think it was, um, I saw 16 swans, one of my greatest experiences. Lord God, what beauty. They circled over me for a long time. And that then comes out in this music. You have this wonderful horn tune um, and it, it's very slow moving and, and sort of simple in a way. And it's just... Da, 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 and so on it goes. And it's it sort of seems to mirror this slow moving, huge wingspan of these incredible birds. And so here you have a piece that is secular it's a symphony there's no words there's no program as there's no direct narrative or story given to the whole work it's a secular piece for an orchestra to be played in a secular concert hall and yet it's totally inspired driven by intertwined with and inspiring thoughts of nature and what that might mean in a spiritual 
realm. Does that make sense or have I just witted on? No, it makes loads and loads of sense. And I'm particularly taken by period of time with which he was writing it um, before the full horrors of, and stupidity of that of the First World War came to light. But already that sense of foreboding and something not being right in the world and the juxtaposition of the grace and beauty of the swans. And as you say, pattern, which is a, a repeated word um, from Jim as well. So my album is by a, an American pianist called Brad Meldo. And the album is called Finding Gabriel. And in Jazzland, I could have gone, you know, back to some more origins of spiritual uh, jazz in terms of how that's evolved from sort of uh, John Coltrane and Love Supreme, sort of widely regarded as one of the most sort of transcendent jazz albums. And then, you know, Sun Ra and his orchestra who were deliberately reaching out to an astral realm and Don Cherry uh, and, and several others en route. Uh, but I thought I'd come right up to, up to the recent times and Finding Gabriel uh, sounds like it's going to be an overtly religious album. Um, and what Brad has done is spent a lot of time reading the Bible and specifically the Old Testament. And I was quite taken with that about why the Old Testament particularly. And as you listen to the album, you realise it is more political than spiritual. Not that there isn't space for both to sort of coexist, but it's a response um, to Trump. It's a response to the alternative right. It's as a response to mistruth to sort of false information uh, and all of it sort of shaking that fist in the metaphysical poet type way of being shaken by reality and searching again a bit like both of you for the for the truth and he does it in a very similar way I think to both Tool and Sibelius which is to use uh, a sense of a, a hypnotic oh god I saw that word as I said it um, but a hypnotic sense of repetitive tune of you know more than a basso continuo more than a sort of bass line but a repeated theme or a repeated line across which everything else builds and there's 10 songs they're all done separately and there's some great guests on there singing you know for example like Kurt Elling but when they sing they're singing not words as such their voices truly become instruments it's almost hard to tell them apart because he's playing keyboards as well as, as piano and, and this whole thing builds up into a space that allows you to separate out from the music, but to allow yourself to sort of go somewhere else. And there's a track on it called The Garden. And there's something about the garden itself. Uh, and I think that's the reason that, that flies through na um, religion a lot, you know, the sense of the garden. But that enclosed space, that safe space against what may be poisoned by, by outsiders either flying into it or entering it, but also being a safe space to explore uh, and potentially connect with a with a wider world. And I say, ultimately, it is a political album, but I think it is spiritual. I think it's a spiritual journey for him. And I think without knowing any of the background to it, it's very hard not to get caught up in a lot of the the tunes and, and the repetition and, and to reach out somewhere else. And as I say, it's not solely a, a spiritual album. It's not, I don't think, written with divine intention. It uses like Job and Ecclesiastes, etc., to reference this is not the first time that humans have coped with this type of either violence or that feeling of being lied to or betrayed that you can get. But it does push you away from the earth to sort of connect with something bigger and, and, and brighter and better. So with all of that said, I'm going to pull out to start with patterns um, because it feels to me that patterns seem incredibly important to building up 
uh, a spiritual space. And Rahan Gies was saying something similar about, you know, repeated undertones and, and allowing something else to come out. Yeah, what, 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 what were you saying, Jim? Um, so, I was, yeah, I was listening back to the podcast you did with Rahan Gies and um, it was really interesting to hear her talking about, uh, as you say, patterns. So although it wasn't explicitly what she was looking for initially, she realised that some of these sort of electronica sounds and the African rhythms that were coming through were sort of sort of nudging you towards sort of like this sort of hypnotic state and sort of helping you sort of become reflective and sort of edge into sort of meditation and a, and, a, and a way to approach spirituality. Mm. And patterns, Lottie, are nothing new to classical music. I immediately think of Bach when when I think of patterns, but I mean all, all music all musicians use them to different effects. Sibelius is used though of that swan theme or the swan hymn. How does that manifest? Does it just come through at the end or is it throughout the whole thing? And what's its purpose when you're listening to it? So it's just in the final movement that uh, there are three movements mm. and there are two main themes and the Swan Hymn is the second of those themes. And it, right. it just sort of emerges out of the first theme as being this quite busy, scurrying, rather unsettled sound of, sort of tremolo strings. And then these really majestic, slow-moving horns emerge. And as I said, it's a very simple motif, which is in itself kind of repetitive. And it's like a, it, it sort of seems to reflect the, the shape of birds in flight because it sort of just goes up a fifth and down and then back up again and down and back up and again down. And because it does that in these huge, slow-moving chords, you see, you know, you don't see a sparrow. You see a bird, an enormous bird with a big... Um, wingspan and it then does it comes and goes throughout the movement but it permeates and comes to dominate the whole movement and it takes on slightly different characters it gets more um, it becomes quite sort of tortured in places and chromatic but ultimately um, uh, quite triumphant and, and you have these moments uh, the most amazing key change and modulation where it's it's it feels like you've moved into a, a, another vista you know you've come over the top of the mountain or or, or something like that um mm. it, it's really very powerful but it relates it very clearly as well with the word swan to earth whilst you can fly above it there's actually not an escape from earth as such it's a it's a it's a view back down but it's not a view back out is there a feeling in the symphony that somehow there is a, a greater deity afoot here well, in the symphony itself, nothing is explicit. So you can read mm. into it what you want. Um, I think I'm right in saying he, he did say something about in one of his revisions, he was trying to make it more uh, of a human symphony. So he was very deliberately trying to ground it more. But I don't think he ever... Uh, he hasn't attached a narrative, a programme to it as such, apart from just drawing everyone's attention to this extraordinary swan moment. And I, I wanted to as well, just to explore um, refuge, um, because I think lots of people listening to this, but we three, I know, we, we take refuge in music, sometimes as a escapism, but sometimes as a way to grow and sometimes as a way to remind and, you know, get back in touch with a, with a different time. And obviously, if something's new, to take you into a, 
a whole space you might not have entered before. But I was thinking around spiritualism as a response as well to needing refuge. And I was thinking about spiritual specifically from, you know, the influence that that had on jazz in its origins and prayer and repeated liturgy. And then I was thinking quite a lot about tool and what and what, what Jim has said about creating a, a space where others not necessarily can't enter, but it's your personal space, your, your ownership. Do you think there's a refuge afoot in what Tool are up to, Jim? I think they they have developed and become this thing, and the name of the band, uh, Tool, is is quite deliberate. And I think initially it was just a bit of a joke, but it has become we are a tool for you to use in the way that you want to, and what our music uh, and what we're right, doing right. will mean something. We're, we're not going to prescribe to you what this is about. You use it in the way that you need to use it, and therefore. In the same way, is for most people. Obviously, for most people, the way you listen to it is unique to every person. It is a, it is a refuge. It is a, it is a, a, they're, they're not going to teach me how to live my life, but I, they can potentially sort of give some signposts. So actually, perhaps I should think about that in a different way. Or and has it had that visceral effect on you, where actually listening to the album two, three, four times, and I presume you've listened to it more, has actually changed your thinking or response? Or for you, as you know, as a critic, so to speak, you just listen to it, going, "This is great music." I think I think I'm I'm more into it as a as a as a critic and as as not a casual listener because that's that's not entirely true. I mean I've I've listened to it a lot of times and I totally appreciate and get it. I think a lot of my values and the way that I live my life probably marry up with what they are talking about anyway. And it's just sometimes hard. And you you, you get this in 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 uh, all sorts of uh, religious teachings as well that you try to be the best you can, but we are all fallible because we're human and we fall short all the time of being that sort of greatest version of yourself that you can be. But I think it's just sort of, it's, it's a signpost to try and sort of put you in that right direction or to sort of give you a little nudge and help you along that way. Have they themselves changed me? I don't think so. I think they, I've, I've recognised this as, a, as an amazing piece of art and it's appreciative of it. And it hasn't changed me, mm. but I think it has done a lot of people. And then with Sibelius, Lottie, is it a piece of music that you listen to and the hair stand on your arms? Is it a piece of music that will deliver the tears? Or is it a, a piece of music that acts a bit more like a tool that can help you reach another space? So I think uh, in terms of how I personally would get in touch with, with, with a spirituality via music, it's a different thing at a different time. So if I was in a a very hmm. introverted, reflective place, this is not the one I would go to. I would go to something much, much earlier. I'd go to William Byrd or, as you mentioned, Palestrina or, or Victoria, one of those sort of really intense mystical sounds. This hmm. lifts me, though, uh, as James said, lifts you to be a, in a a different version of you this is sort of heroic this i'm standing on the the cliff edge looking out at the enormity of the world stroke the universe um i find and this swan motif when it gets into your head which it has done for me in the last couple of days it totally absorbs me you know and I found myself doing things in the past stupid things when this has been my earworm of the day you know walking across a park Mm. and I suddenly realize like a child or something my arms are doing this slow flapping action in in time with the music as if I'm a swan and then I sort of look around a bit embarrassed (laughs) at everyone else watching me so it lifts me up and takes me into a place of considering the enormity the infinity the unknowability of 
it all, the bigger reality that we can't grasp. There is a sort of underwritten thing that spiritualism sounds like it should be hand in hand with religion or a notion of God or gods. When everything we've spoken about so far is about trying to make sense of the world you live in, be that your body, be those things going on around you, all the things that other people on the earth are doing. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a passionate uh, call out to a god or, or something else. It's very much comes from a secular existence where the questions of help uh, are coming up. But I'm interested in, in both of your responses to what you think secular versus religious or, you know, something involving a deity might be. Um, perhaps, Lottie, you could you could think about that in relation to Sibelius. Uh, if I understand you rightly, you're, you're separating God and the divine from the material. Is that right? I am by way that a piece of music is written in praise to a God versus a piece of music that allows you to find a God without a necessary religious uh, narrative already in place. I just find it very difficult to draw any lines because precisely because of this problem. As soon as you start going into one, you find you're already overlapping with the other. I think Debussy, I think, said that nature was his religion. Mm. Music is a physical thing. We have we have to do something physical. We have to hit yeah. something or or blow something or or whatever. What music is doing for the person that has written it, what music is doing for the person who is performing it, what music is doing for the person who is hearing it, are they the same? Are they necessarily mm. the same? Are they simultaneous? Are they different each time? I mean, I don't think you can answer any of these things. Ultimately, these aren't scripted routes to God. They're not scripted routes to nature. They're places for you to to, to explore being human, I, I, I guess. Well, cert- as, music's as a certainly a, a form of expression, isn't it? And potentially communication, but it doesn't have to be communication to another person because you can imagine sitting on your own quietly in a dark room just playing the piano or guitar or whatever is your thing, just playing for yourself. But in a concert scenario or recording, you've got a an audience or a listener um, or in a sacred setting, I suppose you are singing to um, God or the divine, however that's defined in that setting. Yeah. And Jim, with Tool in mind, but also yourself, do you find yourself in the darkened studio over time, just sort of with a uh, a rhythm or a pattern that you've created and just listening to it on loop or playing it again and again and then allowing something else to happen not necessarily even creating more music but you know finding something else spiritual happening i think you do i think it's and it's absolutely unconscious that it's happening uh, that you if, if something happens enough and repeats and repeats and repeats you then start to hear other things in it and start to zoom in on that. And then you'll start to focus on that. And while the original pattern is playing, you may start thinking, okay, this is now working with this. It's all like looking at a picture or a photograph. You keep zooming in on it far enough. You'll see something that was not intended to be there or something that was not known there. But all of a sudden you'll see something else in the photograph. And say, oh, man, that's just that's really weird. So, yes, I mean, obviously you, you hear things and you sort of go off in different tangents different directions and you may end up just sort of working on a piece of music or hearing something you've been working on sort of repeating over and over and over again and you and actually what you're saying it isn't a musical thing you then start to think about it brings you back to somewhere from well, earlier in rep- your life so or... repetition is and i'm just thinking in terms of meditation 
I haven't done repetition. <laughs> it's on there. Repetition in just there's obviously a direct correlation with meditation, and so repetition within a piece of music or repetition of listening to the same piece of music repeatedly, either back to back or over the years, inevitably that facilitates your mind, stroke dare I say soul, to to go to different places, to settle in a different way. Um, that's what repetition does, isn't it? And that's, that's part of a mantra, for example. So then actually, not to be trite, but to be practical, because we've all done this, you have the same CD stuck in your car and you can't be bothered to change it or you always go to sleep with that first song that comes up on the you know on your iPod or whatever and by default you have a repetitive mantra you have something that you've listened to again and again and again that actually probably never started out being a, a spiritual piece but for you ultimately does become spiritual so therefore if the listener can take anything and repeat it in its activity because it's a recorded piece of music then ultimately anything can become spiritual in that way that, you know, repetition allows the brain to to connect and, and, and you know, and disappear into other things. And I think here we're, we're more actively exploring music that is deliberate in its approach from the composers to be spiritual as, as a consequence of their own composition, rather than you necessarily needing to listen to it a lot of times, the, the repetition is within it, and they are very clear responses to something. Yeah. So I want to talk about, while you were both chatting, I was thinking about what is open versus what is closed, uh, and all three of the pieces of music that we're talking about, by definition, are closed. They are set pieces of music, right? Uh, yes and no. So what I'd like to... This album is 13 tracks long. The whole thing could be rearranged then using... Going back to the Fibonacci sequence I was saying, and it changes the order of the whole songs, and they then flow in a different way, so it becomes a different album. And then it starts where it ends, and it's like a continuous loop. It goes round and round and round. So, oh, they're clever. That, they've, they've got yeah. out of that one, haven't they? Is, haven't they, just? So you kind of end up having this sort of a continuous, endless... Not like a Mobius strip. Well, it kind of is, I guess, but it's it, it's it's presented in a way so when you first approach it, it is it is formulaic. It is here. It is uh, track one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, mm. eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and it doesn't exist in a physical way in any other way. But people have then made playlists on YouTube and on Spotify where they then chop and change their songs around to put them in the different order yeah. that this golden ratio uh, dictates, and it becomes a completely different thing. And as it ends the notes fade out and they fade in again or start to begin at the other end, it's kind of like the same thing. And it's just, wow, how clever. So it is, it's open and closed at the same time. I like it. I'm going off on a slight tangent, but I'm just now thinking of John Cage. And, yeah. well, the, you know, the, the sort of famous silence. can't remember how many seconds, four minutes, 53 seconds or whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Is. So, I mean, is that open and closed? Where does it open? I mean, it's on the page, there's a, a clarity of it opening and closing, but listening to it, you know, what is it? Is it? And it's obviously totally different and changing all the time. You have a cue, don't you? If you're seeing it performed, the conductor will go... Yeah. Well, I so think, you know where it starts. Yeah, and then lifting the piano <laughs> lid and all that. Yeah. yeah. And there's another piece of it, and I can't remember what it's called, but it's it's ongoing and it's being played on an organ somewhere. I think it must obviously be in a church. That somewhere this organ is playing and it changes one chord every I can't remember x hours or every day or whatever and the whole thing is 
is then meant to last umpteen years and it's a few years into it and it's not going to finish for many, many more years yet. Is somebody playing it? Is it automated? No, I think it must be automated because I, th- I think it probably is longer even than a single lifetime, certainly longer than a working lifetime. Wow. Um, I'd have to look up the details to be really specific, but you can see he's exploring and thinking some of these thoughts and ideas, isn't he? Yeah, and I think that relates to time itself. I know, I know the piece of music you're talking about. The not that I can reference it either, but I've 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 listened to it. I've uh, just got a complete and then brain read about block. it. Yeah, but it's that point of time as well, isn't it? You know, we've got a focus period of time, which is maybe an hour, hour and a half. If you're listening to music, if you're really pushed and you're really quite drunk, you can do the ring cycle uh, for twenty four hours. But when you're dealing with a piece of music that lasts an eon, lifetimes. What actually is it saying? It's saying that, hey, this carries on with or without you kids. There's something bigger here. Time is such a relative dimension. What is it that you're you're actually trying to achieve through listening, through interpretation uh, and the like? Now, listen, we're dangerously close to physics. And I know that none of us are qualified to, to venture into that realm. Yeah. Um, Sorry, well, but fair. Um, So I was going to come to my final point um, about all three pieces of music uh, and communion. And communion in the broadest sense, not necessarily in a religious sense, but a coming together, um, how people can share in something. And I think it's terribly important, music. I mean, it's one of the reasons we like chatting. Um, And it's one of the reasons, you know, everyone that listens to this, you know, they are communing with, with something that they find interesting or, or music yeah. or a genre or, or whatever it may be. For all three of the pieces of music, I wonder about the relationship with others as opposed to yourself. Tool, James, you've already mentioned, they've got a, a massive following. And there are, I don't know what they're called. Should we call them Toolists? They're Tool Army, I think. Tool Army, there we go. There's, there's three types of people in the world. There are people who like Tool, people who don't like Tool, and people who like Tool a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> and they're and they're a worrying group, are they? Yeah. <laughs> but they're connecting with each other, right? And they're connecting yeah. through the yeah. through the music, and presumably yeah. the music then can almost become secondary because there's a there's a conversation or an appreciation that takes off. Yes, um, but I think the common denominator for all of it is the the music and the lyrics. Um, so people completely unrelated with uh, from different sides of the world who've never met each other will. Uh, be communicating and talking with each other because of the the common denominator that is the fandom of being a, a, a listener of Tool. Mm. And Sibelius, presumably most symphonies are performed to many, many people, and I'm taking it out of the realm of putting it on a CD. There is something that you share together when you're listening to a symphony, isn't there, that's huge? Well, and before that, there's the... The fact that in this case we're talking, you know, and with a lot of classical music, you're talking about somebody who has created the work on their own, away from other people, and then they've communicated it by sharing it with the world, by publishing their score or whatever, getting someone to play it. And in the case of the symphony, you've then got the however many people come together to play it, let's say a hundred people. So they've got a sense of community with each other and with the composer. And then, as you say, there's then a further sense of community between them and the audience. And does the audience have communion with themselves as well as, you know, with the 
orchestra so it's it's multi-directional isn't it yeah it, it absolutely is and again all three pieces of music that we're talking about have got different comings together of people some in a very controlled fashion some that would have been composed over a long period of time and in the case of the symphony demanding 100 people come together or else you can't hear it at all I find that whole space really very interesting. Um, We could talk all day, and largely, listeners, perhaps we do, and you're just zoning in to an hour of Newstead babble. But I'm going to to conclude things there. I'm going to judge us by our spiritual bingo, Um, and we've only ticked off five words from the list, which means we avoided gospel, speaking in tongues, atonement, (laughs) grief and guilt, uh, ragas or ragas, um, ambience, intensity, drone, space, captivity, and truth. Um, actually, Lottie did say divine, so you can get a tick for that as well. So we actually did six. I think in I the might end. have said truth. Uh, actually. It, well, oh, really? Oh my gosh! So we got I seven. Said, I certainly was thinking truth at one point. Maybe I didn't say it. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm sure we'll have said uh, space as well. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Hey, listen, um, who, who, who knows? Um, moreover, thank you so much, um, as always, for joining me uh, to share your world uh, and to discuss a little more and to share uh, some different music with we jazzers. Just to sign off, Lottie, your music appreciation classes, how are they going? What's next, did you say? Uh, no, I had Brooke two days ago. Been and gone. Ah. Uh, I've got Sibelius 5 this Saturday. That's why I'm thinking about it. So, um uh, that, yeah, that's happening in two days' time. I've got oh, I've got so much coming up. I've got uh, Sart- Eric Sarti. We didn't even talk about him, but he was all sorts of interesting about religion, and he he founded his own church. But we won't we won't start a new conversation. I've got Stravinsky. I've got Mazorsky. I've got Philip Glass. Uh, Saint-Saëns, uh, Amy B. So these all sound very spiritual. Yeah, uh, there's just so many. Uh, this is the thing. This is why I, what I found was when I sat yeah. down, pretty much any piece of music that I'm looking at, and I am looking in detail at a different piece of music every three or four days, uh, it's yeah. like, okay, well, I can talk about the spiritual in this. And if anyone wants to, to join up or, or follow along or, or try one out, is it charlottenewstead.co.uk? That's right, yeah, that's my website. And this, uh, I, I have this dual life as a singer, so you can ignore the singing stuff and go to the classes web page um, and it there's a bit of a description about what's involved and then there's a page with all the different events and dates and you can book from there uh, amazing and jim where do we find you in your youtube odyssey who are you listening to at the um minute? so i've just been listening to uh some more yes uh from the early 1970s uh an album called relayer uh the first side of which the entire side was one song called uh at the gates of delirium uh, which is their take on war and peace uh, by tolstoy the whole thing is epic absolutely a, a masterful amazing thing um and previous to that i've had some mahavishnu orchestra uh which Ooh, you nice. probably John McLaughlin. there you go yeah we'll take that yeah so but uh taking a bit of break at minute i'm gonna be off for about a week and a half because uh, uh we're away on holiday next week uh going to center parks oh wow hold on we we could be getting a podcast revenue stream here do we we rate center park <laughs> I don't know yet. We, no, no, it's, I, we, we enjoy it very much. S- slip me a 50 and it's like, <laughs> love centre parks. I no, love it. Good love luck it. with that. No, so so, so we, we're going to be away for sort of a little while. Um, so, and I'd really, 
Charlotte, you you plan your stuff to the nth degree. Mind, I just sort of kind of sort of stumble from one thing to the next. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. So when I next make a video, I have no idea what it's going to be. It would just be, uh, what should I do today? Well, there we go, and it will happen. So and so, if we wish to join you in the happenstance of musical discovery, we just tap in Jim Newstead right into if you YouTube. Go, yeah, if you go onto YouTube and uh, just search uh, for my name, it will come up with probably one of my videos or my channel and marvelous it's just called jim newstead well we will so next time i'm in conversation with the wonderful singer uh, irene sarah as always don't forget to keep your ears fresh and always connect with something new oh and don't forget to pass on the love and recommend our podcast to a friend well if you liked it so it's goodbye lovely listener it's goodbye lottie goodbye and it's goodbye jim goodbye Take care now. Bye.